praise you for your presence. Lord, and we, we do want to hail the King. Lord, may that be the prayer of our hearts. And Lord, as we focus now on your word, we pray and we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to put aside the distractions that we came with that may have been with us for the whole week or maybe even just something that came up this morning. Lord, help us to focus. Help us to focus on you. And we pray that you would teach our hearts and we pray that you would change us, Lord. And as we look forward to your table at the end of the, the service here today, Lord, as we look forward to that time, as we look forward to remembering what you have done, God, may this time together now prepare our hearts. Teach us, Lord. Teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Is is Chris, is Chris Cornell here? Where's Chris? Is she in here? Chris? Hi, Chris. You need to know you said if any women are having a baby. Well, I just thought I'd let you know that my wife is going to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> But not in the next two weeks. <laughs> so thank you. That was a good way to announce that to y'all. <laughs> Some of you... Oh. Okay, I won't look at her then. <laughs> um, I, I appreciate, appreciate the opportunity again this morning to be here. Um, John and Sola, those of you who didn't know, this weekend, I think it's actually, is it today? Is their anniversary? Is that right? Her, her kids don't know. They they weren't there when they got married. So that <laughs> I think it's I think Sola told me it's 28 years. So they had the opportunity to be up in the Niagara Falls area this weekend. So I appreciate the opportunity again to come. It's a privilege to share with you. And um, last week I know I just wanted to give you a taste of what what we've been studying in the Book of Ecclesiastes down in the Sunday school hour. And so uh, this week I kind of planned on doing that and then. Um, this week, um, if you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 139, I, I was surprised as I got further into the study of, it, of how well that, that fits in with, with what I spoke on last week. Because last week we mentioned that the heart, the heart of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 in, in verses 7 to 9 or 7 to 10, the heart of that was really about, was really the command to enjoy life. He said, go, eat, drink, and enjoy. And in verse 10... He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So some of you may remember a few years back a, a Nissan commercial. And the, the, the punchline in the commercial was, life is a journey. Enjoy the ride. Any of you ever remember hearing that? Yeah? No? Okay. Well, that was, the, that was it. So <laughs> that was it. And... On a, more, on a more focused note than the Nissan commercial, <laughs> the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, you're all familiar with, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So that's what I want to focus on, and that's what I think 
we can focus on this morning in Psalm 139 is enjoying God or enjoying life that he's given us. How, how, the question we're going to answer this morning is how, how are we to do this? How are we to enjoy life as God has given, as God has given it to each one of us? And I want, to, I want to say right up front that it's easier said than done. There's a, there's a rabbi in the Middle Ages who has, his name was Abraham Ezra, a Jewish rabbi. He said that Psalm 139 is the crown of all the Psalms. So as we look at it this morning, it's a very, it's a very personal Psalm. I think, there, I think 48 to 50 times, depending on your translation, the psalmist used very, he uses the personal pronouns, I, me, or my. So it's a very personal Psalm. And in this Psalm, it's very, very neatly unfolds for us. There's four great attributes of God. And if you have the outline this morning, I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to give you these four attributes and then, and then we'll walk through it together. Um, the first one is, we'll see in verses one, 1 through 6 is remember God's knowledge. Remember, remember the fact that God is omniscient. God knows everything. And number two, remember God's presence. Remember the fact that God is omnipotent or he's omnipresent. I'm a little dyslexic there. Number three, remember God's power. God is omnipotent. So remember God's knowledge. Remember God's presence. Remember God's power. These first three attributes, characteristics of God, it's, it's with God alone. But the fourth one, I think it's, it's very appropriate for as we're coming to remember the Lord's table this morning, is pursue God's holiness. God alone, God alone is holy, but as believers, he calls us to be like him. So pursue God's holiness. So these are four keys to enjoying life's journey. So the first one, in verses 1 through 6, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read verses 1 through 6, and, then, and then, we'll, then we'll look at it. In Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. How much does God know? Everything. Okay. God possesses perfect knowledge and therefore he, he never, never has a need. He has no need to ever learn. Think about it. God has never learned and he cannot learn from anyone. You could read the last four or five chapters of the book of Job. There's a good explanation of that. Nothing ever escapes God's eye. He knows everything about us. There's nothing we can hide and there's nothing we, know, we need to try and hide because it wouldn't work. He knows every detail of your life. God is like a master detective. He doesn't have to, he, only he doesn't need the magnifying glass. He, he knows. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, His understanding is infinite. God never discovers anything. He never has to reason. He's never in the process of, of reasoning or observing. He already knows. He already knows everything. He's never surprised by anything. 
God is never amazed. He never finds anything out. He doesn't need to seek information. What, what, what's the common thing we do today? When, I wonder what that's about. What, what do we do? Google, yeah. God doesn't need Google. Okay? God doesn't need to ask questions. God never errs. He never overlooks anything. 1 John 3.20 says that he knows all things. Listen, if anything were to ever happen, either directly or indirectly, apart from God, then he would not be God. I'll say that again. If, if anything was ever to happen, if anything was ever to touch your life, directly or indirectly, apart from God, then he would not be God. So as we look into this, look in verse 1. He says, O oh Lord, you've searched me. You've searched me. That's a mining term. It means, it means to dig. To search is to dig. God leaves no stone left unturned when it comes to knowing about your life. He has perfect scrutiny. God doesn't need to look in, under your bed. He doesn't need to look in your closet. Or he doesn't need to look in the trunk of your car or in your garage or any other place. He doesn't need to read your email or check your texts. He doesn't need to look at the history on your computer. He knows every correspondence. He knows every companion. God doesn't need to read your blog to find out what you're thinking. He knows. And you know what else? God doesn't need to check his Facebook account to see who is posted on his wall. <laughs> because he doesn't have an account, he doesn't need one. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature, there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So he searched us he knows us completely. Let's look at verse 2. What, what's he know about us? He knows your actions. It says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. And it's, God, it's, it's, it's emphatic. It's you, God. You alone know when I sit down and when I rise up. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember every time you sat down or stood up yesterday? Probably there's not anybody here who even remembers every time you sat up or sat down, even stood up, or sat, I get to say that right? Even today, right? We, we just, we don't, we don't remember these things, but God knows, God, he knows everything, every move that we make. And in verse 2, the second part, you understand my thought from afar. He knows, he knows your thoughts. He knows what's on your heart. He knows your intentions. He knows your motives. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23 and 24, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God who is far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? God knows. He knows your, knows your thoughts. And how, how important our thoughts are. There's a little poem. I'm not sure who wrote it. It says, Your mind is a garden. Your thoughts are seeds. You can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. It's kind of cute, but it's, there's, there's, a little, there's some truth to it. Huh? We looked at Proverbs last hour. It's a, little, it's a little proverb. How important it is what we put into our mind. We can grow flowers or we can grow weeds. Further in verse 3, he knows your ways. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You know, all my life I've read this, and I used to think that that's like a mean thing. You scrutinize my path. It's like God's waiting till you do something wrong. And then he's going to... But that's not what it is. You scrutinize my path. 
He sifts your path. God goes before you in your life as a Christian and He's never going to allow anything in your path that's going to cause you to fall or to, or to trip you up. No tri- he's never going to give you anything that you can't handle. We know that's a promise, right? There's no temptation that's overtaken us in 1 Corinthians 10.13, but such that's common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted or to be tried beyond what you're able. But with, along with whatever comes, He will provide the way of escape. And oftentimes the way of escape is not like, okay, how am I going to get out of here? But it's just where, whatever you're in the midst of, God gives you the strength to go through that. He gives you the strength to walk in a manner that pleases Him. In Psalm 23.3, it says that He guides me in the paths of righteousness. You're familiar. You're all familiar with that psalm. Well, that word for paths is literally ruts. Or like, it's like from a wet, it's like a wagon, what, what a wagon wheel lays down. And, that, and that's the track. It's the tracks. He's going to guide you in the ruts or the tracks of righteousness. He puts them down and we follow them. That's the idea. So he knows your actions. He knows your intentions. He knows your ways. And in verse 4, he knows your words. It says, even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. It's interesting. Someone, I don't know who figured this out, but they said 20% of your life for the average adult is spent talking. So if we were to put all the words that you say in a day for the average adult in a book, you, you, would, you would have a 50-page book per day. Now for some of you, you might have a few more pages in your book. <laughs> and if for some of you, it might not be quite so many pages. In a year, this is 132 books of 200 pages per year. That's a lot of words. And what's, what's, Je- what's Jesus say? about our words. This, I remember when I was in college, remember when I was in college, when I was a freshman in college, I can remember exactly where I was. I was walking down on the campus. My wife would know where this is, between Dixon and Slight. Who, who else is from? Ryan. Ryan. Ryan, we picked on you and we picked on you in AVF, but Ryan is from Master's College. He, exactly. I was walking and I was thinking, if only I could memorize this if only I could remember this at all the time that God knows me. He knows everything I'm doing. He knows what I'm thinking. knows what I'm saying. If only I could grasp this, how that would change my life. How that would change our prayer life and how that would change our life. And you know what? After, I won't tell you how many years ago that was, but um, I still wish that I could just grasp this all the time. He knows. He knows what you need. Jesus said, your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. doesn't mean you don't need to ask Him, but in Matthew 6, He said, your heavenly Father knows, in verse 32, Matthew 6, 32, your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. So seek first, seek Him first. Seek first His kingdom. And in verse 5, it says, you've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. The idea is that God has hemmed you in. It's in a good, it's in a good sense says he's laid your hand he's laid his hand upon you the idea of laying your hand it's it's a it's a gesture of blessing in psalm 48 this is what jacob did to his sons this is what jacob did when he blessed joseph's sons he laid his hand on him and he gave him a blessing so this knowledge that god has it's 
God, it's, it's a mystery because how can God be so infinite yet at the same time be so intimate with us? And God, we, we may sleep, but God never sleeps. And God, God gently guides us on His preordained paths that He has for us. And the psalmist, when he comes to verse 6, he says, he's overwhelmed. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. It's much like what Paul said in Romans 11, verse 33. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So life is an, ama- is an amazing journey, and God knows our pathway. So embrace his knowledge of you and enjoy the ride. Like I mentioned, if, if you have this view of God, if you have a proper view of God, that He knows everything and He sees everything, that'll change your prayer life. That'll change your life. So remember God's knowledge. Secondly, remember God's presence. God is omnipresent. God's not contained by walls. This morning here, if you look over there, there's a wall. There, there's a wall. We see the ceiling, the floor. God's not contained by this building. If you have children downstairs in junior church, you can't see them. But God sees it. God's there. God's presence. It's not that David wanted to escape God's presence, but he said, if it's possible, he says, where can I go, in verse 7, from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There's three, there's three, uh, three, not three places, but three, there's three dimensions, either, either vertically, up or down, or horizontally, east or west, or into the darkness. These three these three places, God's presence, we, we cannot escape Him. He says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or in the realm of the dead, behold, in the grave, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, like the, where the sun rises, if you take the wings of the dawn as far as you can see to the east, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, which, in that, which in, in that day, it was the Mediterranean Sea, the remotest part of the sea. He says, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Jonah knew that, didn't he? Jonah tried to go to that far side of the sea. He went down into the belly of the ship and God was there. Then he went down into the belly of the whale and God was there. God was there. God is there. Wherever you are, God is there. And this is meant, it's not meant to be a, for the believer, it's not at all meant to be a threatening thing. It's meant to be very comforting. And it's meant to be something that fills us with confidence, knowing that God is there, knowing that God knows. He says, if I say, surely the darkness, in verse 11, will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to you. So God is a God of comfort. He knows your trial. He knows your temptation. Rejoice in His personal presence with you. Remember God's knowledge. Remember God's presence. Thirdly, remember God's power. God's power in creation. God's power in creating you. We ought to stand in awe of God's creative power. In verse 13, He says, You form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. The human body is probably the most complex and intricate, detailed system in the universe. And I, I love what Derek Kidner said, commentator. He said, God is the author of every detail of my being. God is the author of every detail of my being. Consider, consider the five senses of an adult. They say that on a perfectly pitch black night, if that was possible, that the human eye could see a single candle 30 miles away. And if your sense of smell is, is clear, when you walk into a room, you could smell a single drop of perfume. And for the sense of taste, you could taste four one-thousandths four one-thousandths of an ounce of salt in 500 quarts of water. In the sense of the sense of touch for the pressure on your skin, on your fingertips, or on your face, only four one-thousandths of an inch of pressure. They say that's what you can feel. That's how, that's how sensitive our sense of touch is. And you can hear a sound. When a sound comes from this one side or the other, if your hearing's good, or if you have your hearing aids on right, <laughs> You, could, you can hear something three ten-thousandths of a second sooner in one ear than the other, even though it seems like you hear it at the same time. So this passage, you form my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. This is a... Dave, David here is... He's not talking about abortion, even though this is, this is a very clear picture that shows that it's not a fetus, it's a baby. David's giving thanks for the way he's been made. He says in 14, verse 14, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Wonderful, the word wonderful is unique or different. Each of us, each, each one of you here has your own set of, has your own DNA. No, no, two, no two humans are alike. So when's the last time you thank God for how he made you? When's the last time you thank God for how he made you? Instead of wishing you looked like this person or that person or you, you weren't so much like this or you were more like that, God made you exactly like he wanted to make you. And in verse 15, he says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Skillfully wrought. It's like embroidery. It's a pattern. The intricate structure that God had exactly for you. It's a template for how he wanted to make you in your body. Consider this. Think, think about this. A little, little bit more about the, the average adult. In 24 hours, the average adult has over 100,000 heartbeats in 24 hours. So in 24 hours, if your heart's strong, you pump over 1,800 gallons of blood through your body in 24 hours. And I was amazed by this one. In 24 hours, your blood circulates through all the vessels in your body 168 million miles. You're saying, wait a minute. No, there's, over, there's something like over 75,000 miles of vessels within you. It doesn't seem possible, but it's so small. And God knows every one. God has made every part you inhale an average of 
two, uh, an average of 438 cubic feet of air in 24 hours. That's between, a cubic foot's about approximately five gallons, so that's between 2,000 and 2,500 gallons of air in a day. For some of you that have more pages in your book, maybe you inhale a little more than that. But <laughs> Anyway, 750 muscles are exercised and 700 million brain cells are exercised in a day. It's not that you don't have them, you just need to use them. <laughs> um, in verse 16, he says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. The unformed substance is that which is not yet unfolded. God knows in verse 16, he says, In your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Psalm 56.8 says, You've taken account of my wanderings and put my tears in, a, in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I love the, the very first song we sang here today. You hold the measure of my days. God holds the measure of of each one of you here. He holds the measure of your days in his hand. All the events of our days are cataloged by God. Like I mentioned, this, this isn't meant to scare you, okay? This should, be, this should give us confidence. This should give us comfort. Someone said this about the fact that all of our days are ordained and written in God's book. He says, every man is immortal until God is through using him. Every one of you, God has a plan for your life. <laughs> it sounds like I'm going to start trying to sell you something or have you pass the hat. Um, God has a plan for you and you are immortal until he's through using you. You can improve on the health of your life, but not the length of your life. So this knowledge of this this knowledge how much God knows. It's a wonderful, it should be a wonderful asset to us. Look in verse 17. He says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. He knows all. He's always with us. And he's all powerful. And then he says in verse 18, When I awake, I am still with you. Someone has said, someone, someone, if, you, if you took this literally, in verse 18, he says, if I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. Well, by the time you tried counting all the grains of sand, you would fall asleep. And then when you wake up, God's still there. Or it could be that you wake up, even, even though from, from the time you're in the womb to the time you're in the tomb, all the way across, God knows. And when, and when you wake up, when you die, you're still, you're still with God. You're still, you wake in God's presence at death. This, like I said, this is such a comforting thought. Nothing will separate you as a child of God from God. If you want to jot down Romans 8, verses 31 to 30, 39, many are familiar with that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So fourth, remember God's knowledge, remember God's presence, remember God's power, and as a result of this, were to pursue God's holiness. Look at look at what David. This 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 almost can seem out of place because all that he's saying is so nice up to this point, isn't it? And then verse 19 he says, "Oh that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed." 
For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They become my enemies. He loathes those. He lo- In verse 21, he says, I, Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? He, he can't stand them to loathe them. He's sickened by them. He's disgusted by them. He wants to throw up. There's not a bone in his body that looks at him and is envious. However, lest we're quick to look at the evil of others and put ourselves on a pedestal, David has a sense of... He realizes that he doesn't know everything. He doesn't know all this about himself that God knows. So as we come to verse 23, we don't want to let such an attitude lead us to self-righteousness. So in verse 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. David's saying, God, I want to know what you know about me. He's saying, purge me of anything, God, that might be offensive to you. See, we're we're too blind to truly know our hearts. So we need to come to God and say, God, reveal to me what you see in me. And what anxious thoughts are there in me? What, what anxious thoughts are there in you this morning that might make you vulnerable to sin? We need to pray this prayer. Are you, are you willing to pray this prayer? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way, any, any painful way or any wicked way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me, Lord, in your way. See, we, we can agree with the first, the first three, right? We can agree with all that, and we can know it in theory. But are we ready to pray this prayer? Because what we know is not our theology, right? What we live. So we need to welcome God's knowledge and embrace the findings. The door to glorifying God and enjoying Him forever opens only through this prayer as we come to God. And you know what's so great? Boyce said this. He said, God's knowledge of what we need is so perfect that He often answers even before we pray to Him. God's knowledge of what you need this morning is so perfect that he's already begun to answer you even before you pray. In Isaiah 65, verse 24, the Lord says, Before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. So who can be terrified by a God who knows and answers us like that? This is meant, like like I've said, this is meant to give us confidence, to give us comfort. But on the flip side, if you're really here this morning and you know you're not living right, or if you know that you don't even have a relationship with the Lord, then you should be terrified. But you can come to Him 
And one man said this. He said, The best kept secret in the Christian faith is the confession of sin. The best kept secret in the Christian faith is the confession of sin. And we can go to extremes on this. You can be so absorbed with yourself. Oh, God, search me. You can be so analytical that you can not function. And on the other hand, you can be so, oh, Jesus has forgiven me, so I know he's forgiven me. But we have to walk with the Lord in those tracks of righteousness. We need to come to him. And it's appropriate as we come to the table this morning that we, that we pray this prayer. And if, if the men would come now, um, I just want to give you a minute to, to search, search your heart, to ask God to search your heart. As we remember, remember the Lord's table, as we remember what, what he has done.